Well, this sermon is a little bit out of context this morning. This isn't the season where we begin to really think of planting or growing. And given the past few weeks, we have both a dual sense of longing for uh, spring and feeling like it will never arrive. <laughs> and this morning, I, I started out in bright sunshine. And I thought, yes, this will really help my sermon. And then Uh, I drove into this sort of gray cloud that's hanging over the lake (laughs) and the radio telling me there's another 10 centimeters on the way. So it's like it's not supporting my sermon this morning, but that's all right. We are in a bit of survival mode, I think, uh, this season. Nevertheless, this morning, in light of the passage in Psalm that bids us to be like a tree planted by streams of water, And Jeremiah also says that we are to be like a a tree planted by the water, not in the salt lands or wastelands or desert. And so I thought we would consider this for, for a moment. What would it be like to be that tree? Perhaps some of you wish to think of yourselves as palm trees, someplace warm. That's okay. Um, Barbara Walters, if you remember, you made famous the question, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? And uh, even more so than that, not what kind of tree would you be, but where would you plant yourself? Or where are you planted now? Um, and where would you choose to be replanted? And I'm going to try a little bit of an experiment here. Uh, This is the kind you don't do on your first Sunday as a guest minister in a a strange place because you might not get invited back. Um, And some of you will identify this as weird. And if I'm not at coffee hour, you might might kind of um, uh, talk a bit about it. But that's okay. That's okay. If you're able, I would just invite you to stand. And if you can stay seated for this little activity as well. And just stand up for a minute. And I want you to kind of imagine that you are a tree. And I want you to feel your feet beneath the ground. And if you need to sit down at any point of this, that's okay too. Feel your feet beneath the ground. I want you to feel the support of the ground. And I want you to think of yourself as having roots that extend beyond your shoes or boots into the ground, drawing up the water, the source of life. And I want you to put your hands up into the air and feel yourself as branches with leaves or perhaps fruit or coconuts if you're that wonderful palm tree down south. Or perhaps you are the tree that's in winter waiting for spring so you can spread your your leaves again. Or perhaps you're in fall and thinking maybe the leaves could fall and just re-nourish your roots that is. And think of sunlight and think of taking in the air and transforming it around you to be air that is breathable and and removes uh, toxins from the air. Just allow yourself for a moment to be the tree. Because this morning, I don't want us to think of everybody else's planting or some tree over there. I want us to think and feel as though we are the trees. So I'll just invite you to sit back down whenever you're ready. 
I don't want us to think of trees as being external to us. I want us to think that we ourselves are the tree. And each and every one of us is a tree in God's kingdom, planted here for a purpose that never, ever stops. Because trees, even when they die, become the nursemaid trees for the new growth. Trees always have a purpose. No matter how small they are, they will convert carbon dioxide into uh, fresh oxygen. They nourish the earth. They call, even after a tree has um, uh, become uh, less healthy, they still hold the land together to prevent soil erosion. But any time that we are talking about landscape and geography in the Bible, it's a great reason to look at geography of the biblical lands and how it differs from our own landscapes. In Canada, by and large, we take the growth of trees for granted. Um, I remember my property here in Oakville. It seemed like every fall I go out and find trees that I had to try and get up off my property before they dug up the whole fence and then they would be... Uh, you know, bigger than me, and it would take a lot, like it wouldn't take long for a tree to grow in my yard and be, be a problem. Um, but we're dependent on the growth of trees for so many things. But they're so plentiful in our land that we hardly notice them. And while we have brought in more bylaws to protect the trees in the city, particularly our tree canopy, we don't pay too much attention to them by and large. But if you look at the geography of Israel, you know that trees are never taken for granted. In fact, the news has drawn attention to those who have destroyed even a small number of trees as terrorist acts. It's a terrorist act in Israel to come in and destroy a few trees, particularly if you pick some of the trees that have been there for thousands of years and that provide olive groves and uh, figs and dates and all of those types of things. But who would notice if somebody invaded Canada and took out 10 trees in our wilderness? You'd be like, hey, knock yourself out. <laughs> you know, it just wouldn't be something that we would even notice for the most part unless they took down the one at City Hall or something. But trees there are so precious and provide important sustenance. And we're reminded when we look at Israel that trees, by definition, grow closest to water. They have, to, they have to because they have a great need of water because of their size. In Canada, we could hardly, we couldn't even remotely name all of the rivers and tributaries and waterways within Canada. Even in Burlington, when I looked it up, there are more tributaries in our small town than all of Israel. That's how parched that land is. Lake Ontario alone is approximately 7,400 square miles, but the Sea of Galilee is approximately 40. And that's all the fresh water surface that they have in that country. And I often think, when I saw that, I thought, wow, this is the Sea of Galilee is literally smaller than most uh, cottage lakes. And yet... The millions of people that live along its waterways fish, swim, bathe, and drink that water. 
And yet in Lake Ontario, which is however many times, 100 times bigger just alone, many of us have not swam in it for years for fear of it being uh, uh, poisonous. Waters, trees, and planting are terribly important in Israel. Beyond the Jordan River is largely desert. But with 75% of the world's fresh water supply in this country, we don't think about watering trees for the most part. And then I went and I looked at the tree in Jewish theology. The writers of the, Bib- of the Bible passages would be well aware of this. Jews were forbidden from eating the fruit of any tree for the first three years of the tree's growth. Trees were seen as life support systems for the earth. And it's interesting to me that thousands and thousands of years ago, Jewish theology knew very intimately how important the trees were. And it's only been in the last 50 to 100 years we've decided that science has decided that trees are really important for growth, for the earth, for all that. Trees are literally the lungs of the earth. They regulate growth. They contribute to all of the life on the planet. They help to clean the water and control watershed movements. They're home to countless species, only to name a small fraction of their value. I could go on for days when I... Google searched, what is the importance of trees? And yet, something we take for granted. And one of the things that I learned and was placed in my heart through the study of this was how little I value the trees around me, that gift of the trees, and how little I think of myself as being planted in God's creation to serve, and to be the lungs and the life support for the world around me. For some sermons, the prevailing wisdom is to bloom where you're planted, which is a wonderful bit of wisdom to encourage you to grow wherever you may find yourself, and presumably in all circumstances. But I would like you to think this morning to pick where you're planted. How do you pick? where you find yourself. What does it mean to become a sacred life support system? How do we find water? Both Jeremiah and the psalmist give us some clues as to what it might look like. Because they break it down into sort of three general areas. You find water by deciding what you're going to do. You find water by how you think. And you find water and avoid the desert by how we express how we feel. The first question that came to my mind is, who do you trust? Because both Jeremiah and the psalmist pointed to the Lord, not only as the person that we trust, but the person we trust in. How many of us sit around in conversations with people that we actually don't trust, and we know we don't trust, that take away 
from that life-giving experience that the Lord offers us. Sometimes we feel so drained by conversations, either because it was so full of gossip or meanness, or the person was so self-absorbed they didn't know you were completely bored to tears, or they give you bad advice. This week we had a great example of that, the chair girl. I don't know if you were following this story. Her friends told her, told her to tr- throw a chair over the 44th floor of one of the condos lining, uh, along the gardener and filmed it, put it up on the Internet. And, of course, she was arrested. Her life was ruined. And she succumbed. Her, re- her reason was that she succumbed to peer pressure. She was a living example of what you do matters. Where you spend your time matters. And in particular, who you spend your time with matters. You know, we're all over the teenagers to not succumb to peer pressure. But I think we sort of miss that it really doesn't change with age. (laughs) There's lots of ways that our peers can pressure us into doing things and saying things and being things that are not life-sustaining and not giving life to the planet. We all have friends that encourage us to be grumpy rather than nice. We are encouraged to express ourselves and tell people off rather than to offer compassion. I think the greatest example of peer pressure is to build a wall when we should build bridges. Now, we always say that's that's in some other country. We could send buses down there to the border to pick them up. We have options. We don't have to remain silent. If we want to be a tree close to the streams of God's love and drawing up from the well of God's love, we have to decide what we do matters. But what we also think matters. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, are the words of Jeremiah. The psalmist says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law he meditates day and night. Where we invest our intellectual capacity and energy tells us whether or not we are drawing from a running, healthy stream or stagnant waters. Have we challenged ourselves to learn anything new about the faith, about the Bible, about God? And I'm pointing pointing four four fingers back here. I just want to say that because I get invited to preach and, boy, I get out my Bible and I, you know, uh, start researching things and, you know, making my sermon longer and longer. I know that's not a good thing, but I could do that every week, but I don't. So I've challenged myself. How can I dig deeper? Do we pursue truth and learning? Because I find myself more and more content to not invest time and energy in developing my intellect. To allow silly memes and the internet and tabloid papers and silly stories to become my steady diet of information. And even the temptation to bring that to the pulpit. It's far more entertaining, really, 
but it's like eating junk food. A tree that doesn't receive good food and water cannot produce good fruit. If you want to nourish others, you must produce good fruit. But the psalmist also issues a warning as well. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Hmm. The heart, cardia in the Greek, occurs over 1,000 times in the Bible, making it the most common anthropological term in Scripture. It denotes a person's center for both physical and emotional, intellectual, moral activities. Sometimes it's used inaccessibly for mystery, for things we can't understand. And so we are invited as trees to also enter the mystery to guard our hearts, to understand that, you know, there's just some things that can't be cured, as the psalmist says, but that doesn't mean we can't be attentive to them. What, is, what, what you feel is so important, but more than that in Jewish theology, is that the heart is the place where the mystical is held, the mysterious, that which can't be understood with the rational mind. To be planted tree means that we don't just think with our logical minds, but also with the part of us that feels and experiences the mystery. We have to stop and allow ourselves to feel our hearts, feel God working in our lives, to understand that our branches are reaching sunward to God and to grow into that mystery. As I wrote this sermon, I found myself convicted of so many things that I can choose differently in my life if I really want to be transplanted into a place where I can be a tree that is by waters, a tree that yields its fruit, a tree that becomes sacred life support for this world. I can choose the company that I keep. And that can be even simple things, like instead of sitting at my computer at my desk at lunch, I can go down to the lunchroom and spend time with my colleagues and with other people. Maybe it's a matter of choosing in your condo or your apartment buildings to go have coffee with someone. Maybe it's a matter of choosing to find someone that nourishes your faith and encourages you in your faith. For me, it was, I have to call and get connected up with a new spiritual director in my community because mine is so much further away and difficult to get to. I can choose what goes into my mind. I read for 20 minutes on the subway every day. I could give up a five minutes of that mystery novel that I'm dying to find out who done it in exchange for maybe five minutes of some other reading that will call me closer to God. I can take time to enter the mystery instead of cheering for the Montreal Canadiens all the time. There's moments we can give up. There are things we can do. There is always ways that we can honor the sacredness 
of the planet that we have. And even for me it was realizing the trees are so beautiful, so planted, and yet I have not paid attention to the paper I used, to the recycling I could do, to honoring that which God has given to me. So if I'm going to actually pick where I've planted, if I actually want to be more more of a sacred presence in this world, those are the choices I'm going to think about. And so I'm challenging you this week as you leave this place to think of yourself as the tree. When you step uh, down in the mornings onto that floor, to say, God, where are my roots going to be today? When you reach up in your cupboards in your kitchen to pull food down, to say, thank you, God, for this food that is here because of the sacred lungs of the tree. And to, uh, to be part of what is going on in the kingdom of God. So let us ponder that as we also make our offerings to God. Amen.